Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Can I invite you to stand and let's greet one another. Let everybody know you are glad they're here. If you're visiting this morning, you're certainly our guest. And we're glad everyone's here at West Irwin. Let's all sing together. We shall assemble on the mountain. We shall assemble at the throne with humble hearts into presence. We bring an offering of
Good morning. So it's a beautiful day to come and worship God, and we've had a, had a rough start to the week with some storms, but uh, the last several days have been, I think, what they call Chamber of Commerce days, absolutely beautiful. So we're glad everybody's here. We welcome our members that are here, our visitors that are with us, and those who have joined online. Um, if you would, get one of the little handouts, and I think it's neat that there's some pictures in here. You should check it out. I want to thank Tucker and Elizabeth Sullivan and Mike Van Buskirk for taking the youth group last week on a camping trip. Check out the pictures. It looks like they had a really good time. So we have some announcements. Uh, Bill Allen is back with us today. He was sick last week, so we're glad he's here. And I have to give credit to Donnie Carnathan for coming out of the bullpen at the last minute last week and, and, and filling in for us. And speaking of Donnie and Susie, Susie fell Friday night when they were in Houston and she fractured her shoulder and is in a lot of pain. They're to see a doctor in the morning, but right now they're not sure if they'll have surgery or not. Um, Susie Denman, uh, I'm sorry, Shirley Denman's sister, Dixie Booth, was scheduled for a heart ablation this past week. Um, Pat Crow is in the center on Grande. Uh, she would, ex would like to have visitors. Uh, Robina Clark's sister, Sherry Jones, is in the ICU in Colleen. And then Davy Carter's sister, Sue Ellis, had surgery last week. We want to uh, extend our sympathy and our thoughts to the family of Gene Chandler and the extended Chandler family and the loss of Gene's brother last week, Clifton. Uh, Misty Ford is scheduled to receive a pacemaker this week. Brenda Knight's being treated for pneumonia, but should have been released this past week. When she was in the hospital, she couldn't have visitors, but she would appreciate people checking on her now. Um, Eileen Clark, we want to remember Tom and Eileen. Eileen is making progress. She's been moved into a skilled nursing facility near her son in Richardson. All I can say is they've been on quite a journey with her health issues. And then finally, uh, we want to remember Ellen Matthews. Uh, in the loss of her brother who passed away. Peter Haley was his name. He passed away on Friday night. Now, there's some other announcements. We expect to actually have two, maybe three baptisms today, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, but also, if you notice over here, there's kind of a group where the weathers usually sit. Well, Ross Weathers is engaged to Christine Bathke, and they had a shower this weekend. And Christine, all I can say is, if I look hard enough, I might be able to find a picture of Ross when he was six years old with my son Jonathan, proudly wearing his Big Kicks soccer t-shirt. <laughs> Ross, you didn't think I'd call you out up here, did you? Anyway, we just want to remember them. Um, and the Bathke family, she's here with her sister Stephanie and her husband Jensen, who got married just last fall, and her mom and dad. Uh, Lisa and Carl, and we want to especially remember them because Christine's parents are in the process of moving from California to Fort Worth. And we also want to remember them because they tragically lost their son last, last, uh, last fall. Um, but you know, it's a great thing to see young couples begin a life together. And I also want to just mention our son, Jonathan and Joanna Blake, who will be getting married in a few weeks, as well as Ryan Halls and Audrey Wright. And when I think about all these announcements, those who are suffering and those who are sick and those who have lost and those who are beginning lives either with Christ or together, I think of Galatians 6.2 where it says, Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
and 1 Thessalonians 5:11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You know, this is what church is meant to be. This is what West Irwin's meant to be. For those who have suffered loss or in pain, we gather around and we offer help and comfort. And for those who have made the great decision to be baptized and, and to put on Christ, and those who have made the decision to begin a life together, like Ross and Christine, we offer support and comfort. Comfort. This is representative of this church. Now, we fall short because the air is human, correct? But we try and we do our best. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we could come and worship you and, and lift up our voice in song and our hearts in prayer. And Father, we pray for this church. We pray for the elders, the deacons, the staff, and the volunteers. And we pray for those on our prayer list and those that are mentioned, but there are also those who are not mentioned that also need our prayers. But we know that you know what we need. And for those who are suffering, we pray for the pain to be removed. And for those who have suffered loss, we pray for them not to be discouraged. And for the caregivers and patients, we pray for patience and not to be overwhelmed. We pray for those who are getting baptized today uh, as they begin their walk with Christ. And we pray for Ross and Christine and Jonathan and Joanna and Ryan and Audrey as they begin their lives together. And in Lord, we, in all cases, we pray for the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, and to intercede us, intercede on our behalves. And Father, we pray for our elected leaders, our national leaders, our state leaders, and our local leaders. And there's a lot of unrest in the world, and we pray for calm and peace, but we pray especially for those in Ukraine, especially for your believers that are there. And Father, we pray for those who purposely take issues for the express intent to create unrest and division among us for their own political gain. We pray that you will soften their hearts and see the error of their ways. Father, we pray for the growth of this church and for the spread of your word. And as we close, let us always be mindful that you always love us, that you'll never forsake us, and that you'll always do what's best for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. To prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, let's sing the Lord's Supper. When we meet in sweet
Morning. So if you come and visit me in my office, my office, uh, you'll notice a few things about me. So I've got a whole slew of solar dancers lying in the top uh, rim of my shelf. I've got a whole section dedicated to Star Wars. I've got a Rubik's Cube over there that I had about a month-long stretch that I liked. And I have just all over the place, you'll see a whole lot of little knick-knack things. I'm a big knick-knack guy. Um, but closest to my computer monitor, I have a few of my favorite things, and I actually brought them to show you. So, I'll start with this rock right here, this stone. Um, this is from the San Juan River. Um, I went on vacation with my parents a couple years ago, my parents and sister, and we stayed in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And then on the next to last day, we went down and messed around by the river and as I was collecting rocks, things that I thought looked cool, I turned around, and my mom handed me this stone. I don't know where the rest of my rocks went, but I still have this one. So every time that I see it, I remember that trip. I remember the time with my family. I remember my mom, and I remember the river. Uh, next up, I have this pocket knife, which you can get at Walmart for about $3. So I was in a guy's Bible study my senior year of college, um, it was once a week, we'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning and uh, meet for breakfast and spend some time talking about God's word, talking about what uh, a godly man looked like. That was the whole idea of it. And the leader of the Bible study, uh, one morning he brought us all pocket knives because a man needs a pocket knife. And so uh, I have this pocket knife, and every time that I see it, I remember those mornings. I remember waking up whenever I wanted to sleep a couple more hours. I remember getting out in the cold whenever I was real comfy underneath my blanket and uh, just different stuff like that. I remember the conversations that were had with those guys sitting around the table. Uh, last thing that I'll show you, I have this little box. This is a ring case. You can see it opens up like that. Um, this is from uh, our wedding. So every time that I see this, I'm reminded of that day. I'm reminded of Elizabeth walking down the aisle, all the different worlds colliding with everybody that showed up. Um, just that day as a whole, all the little details come back to me whenever I see this. And the best part of it is it has some words on it. It says, Elizabeth and Tucker, September 4th, 2021. And so if I forget our anniversary, that is completely on me because that's right in front of my face every day at work. Opening up to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. So this is the end of the wandering in the wilderness. Um, God's people, the nation of Israel, has officially reached the end. Moses has died, Joshua has taken over God's people, and they are about to enter into the promised land. And as they're going, uh, much like whenever Moses uh, led God's people out of Egypt, they had to cross the Red Sea. Here they have to go across the Jordan River. And so what God has them do is the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they go out and stand in the middle of the Jordan River, and the waters do this. They push up to either side so that all of God's people can get through on dry land. And once they get through, um, God tells Joshua to have a man from each of the 12 tribes go back and get a stone. Get a stone. I, I think that they were probably bigger than this, but they're supposed to get a stone out of the river and take it back with them to the camp uh, so that they can see. So picking up Joshua chapter 4. Um, in chapter, verse 1, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, 
and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So they did that, and then skipping forward to verse 6, this is to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When across the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. We see this all throughout the Bible. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, there's all these different examples of people uh, making altars or different things to remember, to remember the story, the way that God provided for them. Um, Just think of the rainbow. That's the most basic example we have of a reminder that God's given us. So I want for you to think about Go ahead and pick up your cup, your communion cup. As you hold this, I've got all these different reminders next to my desk that I can see them and I think back to a very specific thing. So I want for you to think, whenever you're holding this right here, whenever you see the bread and the juice, what comes to mind? What do you see? What do you feel? What does this mean to you to be able to share in this? God has given this to us. Jesus has commanded us to observe this. And it's as a reminder so that every week we can remember what Jesus has done for us. So be thinking about that as we pray. Father God, we can't thank you enough for the sacrifice of Christ, for the love that you showed us on that cross. Lord, being willing to to send your one and only son to, to go and die in our place. And Lord, we know that it should have been us, but we thank you for the sacrifice that was made. Lord, we pray that every week as we spend this time dedicated to remembering that we would, that our minds wouldn't drift, that we wouldn't be distracted. But as we uh, taste this bread that we've tasted for for so long now, or maybe so short, uh, that we would be reminded of the sacrifice that was made. Lord, we ask your blessing on it, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. pray again. Father, as we continue this, as we continue remembering Jesus, as we're about to take the juice, Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed. We thank you for the blood that washes us clean. Lord, we could never do anything to deserve it. We deserve the opposite, in fact, but it's your grace and, and love and mercy on display for all who choose to be yours. Father, we ask your blessing as we continue on uh, taking this juice, and we just thank you so much again. It's in Christ's name. Amen. As we switch over to uh, the time of contribution, I just want for you to continue remembering, remembering all that God has done for you. Uh, Remember uh, what we have right here as you look around and you see your brothers and sisters in Christ, um, the ways that we can support each other, the ways that we can support the church as a whole worldwide. Um, Just remember the ways that God has blessed you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us. Lord, we thank you for uh, this church family that we have here at West Sterwin and the way that we can lean into each other and support each other. Um, And Father, we just pray that as we uh, give financially, as we give our time, whatever it may be, Lord, that we would give with the right uh, heart posture, that we would give 
in obedience to you, but that we would give out of love for you most of all. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in all, and uh, we'll just take this offering and use it for your will. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. our young people to pass to their blast classes and to make that as easy as possible we invite you to stand and as we all sing together like the fire I stand to It is a very joyous day to be together. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day here uh, with all of these wonderful faces and people that are gathered with so many wonderful faces and folks that are gathered online, either live or later as well. And we welcome everyone. What a blessing God has given us in calling us to meet together on a regular basis, as Tucker so wonderfully shared, uh, to remember, to remember his death, burial, and resurrection and to remember that he is coming again. And as we partake of that bread and that cup, uh, we very dynamically remember. I'm excited about a series of sermons that I'll be starting next Sunday on the Lord's Supper. Uh, it was the subject of my Doctor of Ministry project thesis at ACU uh, uh, years ago. And uh, throughout April, we'll be looking at uh, the Lord's Supper. I'm excited about sharing that series uh, with you. As we gather together, as uh, Grant shared earlier, it's family day every Sunday here. And some days seem more family than others. And we have a lot of family gathered uh, here today. Some we haven't seen in a while, uh, some brand new babies. Uh, and we're excited about uh, that. Uh, some of those who will be uh, married soon, and we're excited about that. That's a great, uh, great, and wonderful 
blessing. Uh, some that are longtime members here that we just haven't seen very much over the last uh, few years, and we're especially thankful for you as well. There are many that are going through so many things, the loss of loved ones, as was shared. Um, uh, Ellen Matthews lost her brother, as Grant shared. Sandra Wilkinson's brother that's been on our prayer list and in hospice care has also recently passed as well. I know Shirley continues to be concerned for her sister who uh, possibly may have to have more uh, procedures done, may have to have a pacemaker, but they'll be uh, checking on that in the days and weeks ahead. So let's uh, take a look at that prayer list and, and remind ourselves of all of those, including the ones uh, that we've just heard about uh, today, our Davey and Sonia and Donnie and Susie who are unable to be with us and our hearts and prayers go out to you and we miss you uh, very much. Uh, that's what being a family is all about, just as our shepherd shared a few moments ago. And the thing that we all have in common is we are sinners. And we have a Savior. And so today we're going to be talking about the Savior, Jesus. The last several weeks we have contrasted the real Jesus with imposter Jesuses. There are lots of imposter Jesuses around there that beckon us, that have just enough truth in them to be appealing and to not turn us off immediately. And yet they're not the real Jesus. And the longer we spend with them and the more we consider what they are calling us to do, what they can do and what they cannot do, we're reminded that it is only the real Jesus who is our Savior. We talked about Jesus, the real Jesus being our Redeemer, accepting us where we are, dying on the cross for our sins, and then calling us to live a faithful life. We spoke about the present Jesus who will not leave us nor forsake or desert us. We spoke about the balanced Jesus who reveals both grace and truth, both mercy and justice. And so we end this series on the real Jesus with this last affirmation. The real Jesus is the Savior Jesus. That is the real Jesus. And he is the only one, the real Jesus is the only one who can do that. He is the only one who can save us. And it's one of the great things that we have in common as God's people. So as we think of all of those that are on our prayer list, as we think of all the exciting things that are going on, we're reminded of what we have in common. Spoke with Tom uh, Clark a little bit ago, and, and he was uh, very thankful for all who have been concerned for him and for Aline, and we're excited about the good news for her. We know that she has a long way to go, and she is far from out of the woods, but being in an assisted living place uh, near uh, there in Richardson is a good thing, and Tom wanted me specifically to express his appreciation for all of those who have contacted him, who have brought food, who have Uh, prayed for them, who have been a word of encouragement, and I know that means so much to them as it does to all. It's one of the great blessings about having this commonality, that we share the ups and downs of life. And so we rejoice with each other as we rejoice, 
with wonderful weddings, with new babies, with uh, good news throughout our lives, with baptisms, with um, uh, the joy that comes in life, and we also mourn with each other as we mourn the loss of loved ones and other losses that take place in each of our lives. That commonality of all being sinners, all being helpless to save ourselves, all looking at a righteous and holy and sinless God, recognizing that we have no right to call him our Father. And yet, because of that other thing that we have in common, that Jesus is our Savior, then as we look to that King of kings and Lord of lords, that God on the throne, we see our Abba Father. We see the Savior, Jesus. And so a few things today about that Savior, Jesus, and maybe a couple of things about some imposter Jesuses as well as we close out this series. First of all, the Savior, Jesus, is not the always angry Jesus. (laughs) That is a technical theological term, always angry um, and I, I, you know, I don't understand why Christians get that reputation, but there are some people who have talked to me through the years and have talked to others and said, you know, I, it sounds good, you know, your Christian faith and all, but why is everybody so mad all the time? They just have this scowl on their face. You know, it's like if they smiled, it would crack something. And it shouldn't be that way, should it? I mean, shouldn't we be the most joyful people on the planet? Shouldn't we be the ones who smile the very most? I like what someone said earlier. You know, our kids every once in a while will sing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, stomp your feet, say amen, all of those kinds of things. Uh, I, I, I like the verse that says, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. <laughs> tell your face. For goodness sake, Jesus came and he lived and he died. It's okay to smile about that. Uh, granted, there are a lot of things in our lives that are distressing and And by all means, let's not deny those and let's treat them with the respect uh, that they deserve. But the tomb is empty. I don't know if y'all have heard that or not, but the tomb is actually empty. And the blood has been shed and our sins have been washed away. And that's a good thing. And I think when we look at the real Jesus, we do not see the always angry Jesus that some might think. So... A little disclaimer before we get further in it. I'm not talking about grace abuse or cheap grace. That term cheap grace is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who actually was a man of faith who lived in a a concentration camp for the Jews during the time of the Nazis in World War II, was actually uh, died there shortly before that camp uh, was rescued. And he wrote this wonderful book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he talks about cheap grace. He says this, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross. And I think it's that cheap grace that Paul says at the beginning of Romans 6 and at the beginning of Romans 12 where he says, I'm not talking about cheap grace. We have a salvation that we could not get ourselves And so the price was paid for us, and that's a wonderful blessing that we did not earn, cannot deserve, and could not get on our own. 
But the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus died and was born and was raised from the dead. And so now there is a response of faith. Now the question that's asked throughout the New Testament, um, what must I do to be saved? There is an answer. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the response would be, there is nothing you can do. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. You're sunk. End of story. But because of Calvary, the Latin version of Golgotha, the, the, the Greek word that means um, the skull, because of that, because Jesus died there, there is an answer. There is something that we can do, and that is the response of faith. Just as some are going to do today, we, we believe in the message that we've heard, that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. We, we confess that faith for, to others. We repent. We change. We say we're going to take a different path from now on out, and we're going to trust in our Lord that died for us. And then we're baptized into Christ, dying to sin, being buried with him through baptism into death, and being raised to live a new life. That's only possible because Jesus died on the cross. But there is a new life to live. Cheap grace and grace abuse does not acknowledge that, and that's not what I'm talking about today. But that being said, the Savior Jesus is not the always angry Jesus. Think about all of the times in the Gospels where you read about Jesus being angry and you realize not that many and typically over specific things about the religious leaders of the Jews who should have known better and didn't and were carrying a lot of people away from the love and mercy of God and the will of God. Some people aren't looking for grace, they're looking for loopholes, and I understand that. The Savior Jesus took sin so seriously that he died on the cross for it. So we're not talking about cheap grace. We're not talking about a salvation that just lets you live any way you choose. And the Bible is written because that's not true. The New Testament is written to tell Christians how to live faithfully. And all that being said, however... The Savior Jesus is not the always angry Jesus. For example, as VeggieTales creator Paul Vish, we've never seen the VeggieTales, I don't know. But as the VeggieTales creator Paul Vischer put it, he said this, if table flipping Jesus is our favorite Jesus, we've lost the plot. <laughs> I love that. I love that. If your go-to verse is that Jesus flipped tables and made whips of cords and chased people out when they were breaking the law of God. If that's the verse you quote most, if that's the Bible story that always comes to your mind, you've lost the plot. (laughs) Yes, that story is in there. Yes, that story is real. But that's just a few stories. There's all the rest of the New Testament. There's all the rest of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that talk about a joyful Jesus, a a loving Jesus, a happy Jesus, a Jesus who was willing to share and to help. And then that great philosopher, theologian, Pat Sajak, um, loves to talk about the turning letters on the wheel of fortune. He doesn't get to do it, but he talks about it. He said this, Twitter is filled with people who will go to bed enraged tonight and wake up enraged in the morning. (laughs) 
Kind of sad, really, he says. This was supposed to be fun. If every time you watch the news and get on social media, all it does is either make you angry or afraid, stop doing it. (laughs) Stop doing it, or at least cut back. Because that is not the end of the story. What you see on the news, what you read on the internet, what you see on social media, yes, we need to acknowledge that there is pain and suffering in this world, and you have heard me acknowledge that and say, let's do something about that where we can, and that's exactly right. But that is not the last word. That is not the last word. Certainly not the last word of Jesus. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, has this quote, Oh God, make the bad people good and the good people nice. (laughs) And amen. Jerry and Lynn Jones, who did a uh, relationship enrichment seminar with us here a few years back, said this over and over again, be kind to each other. That's what they told specifically to husbands and wives, but to all of us. Be kind to each other. Shouldn't the church be known as people who are kind? Yes, people who have strong convictions. Yes, people who hold to the will and word of God. But they're the people that are kind. Even when I disagreed with that Christian, they were kind to me. They were being objective. That's what they would say about Jesus. Would they say that about us? The Savior Jesus is not the always angry Jesus. And then secondly today, the Savior Jesus is not the, quote, post-church Jesus. You say, what in the world is the post-church Jesus, Bill? Well, there is a a phenomenon today that we could call post-church Christianity even post-church religion, post-church spirituality. And this is what some might say. They might say, I'll take Jesus, but you can keep your Bible and you can keep your church. I'll take Jesus. And what do they want? They want that baby Jesus in the manger that doesn't say anything to them about how they should live their lives. They want that Jesus that sounds real good and that has a positive message and that doesn't affect anything else in their lives. They live how they want, the way they want, and no one tells them what to do. I'll take Jesus, but you can have your Bible and your church. I don't want those things. And there are a couple of problems I have with that. Number one, we need those things. We, sh- we cannot be left on our own to live life in a faithful, fulfilling way. That's the way of the world. That's the only the strong survive. That's the survival of the fittest. That's the carnal, worldly flesh. That's the atheist view. But the second thing about that is that it violates the teaching of Scripture, which we feel is the Word of God. Scripture itself claims that it's the inspired and authoritative word of God. And we can't get that anywhere else. And this is what the Bible says about Jesus. 
the Savior Jesus is the same Jesus as the head of the church, Jesus. You cannot have one without the other. If you want the Savior Jesus, then the one you're getting is the head of the church, Jesus, also. They're the same one. They're the same one. Listen to these words from Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, what is that kingdom? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we get that. We're not threatened by that. Jesus is the creator. We understand that. He is the sustainer. We get that. He is the supreme one, king of kings, lord of lords. We get that. Verse 18 of Colossians 1. And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There is nothing in Scripture that says, I'll take Jesus, but I'm not interested in the Bible or the church. That is unbiblical. It is unchristlike. Because Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is his body. You kind of think that it's important to him, don't you? And other scriptures bring that out even stronger. In Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love your wives the way Christ loved what? The church and gave himself for her. Jesus died for the church. In Acts chapter 20, as Paul talks to the elders from the city of Ephesus, elders of a specific congregation just like ours, that had specific elders and shepherds just like ours. They were told to feed or shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. What Paul told them that day is that Jesus not only died on the cross, and he not only died on the cross for the church, he died on the cross for your church, for the church at Ephesus. And he died on the cross for the church at West Irwin. And that makes it important. That makes it significant. That tells the truth that the church is absolutely important and vital to our God in heaven and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So vital, so important, so significant, he died on the cross for the church. There's none of this, I'll take Jesus, but you can take your Bible in your church. I don't want any part of that. You can't find that anywhere in the Word of God you find exactly the opposite in the Word of God. You can't have one without the other. The church is the saved, just as Jesus is 
the Savior. Savior Jesus is not the post-church Jesus. Our culture may say that. Circles within our society may say that. But Scripture doesn't and God doesn't. I'll take the real Jesus. Thirdly, today, the Savior Jesus is the joyful Jesus. The Savior Jesus is the joyful Jesus. Let me tell my friend Donnie Ray Carnathan, thanks, brother, for last week. I appreciate that. Man, I was sick as a dog from last Friday until uh, this past Tuesday. Back in the office on Wednesday at maybe about 75%. Not quite at 100% yet, but there. And so I uh, sent uh, Donnie a, a text message on Saturday last week saying, um... <laughs> it may not happen for me tomorrow. Just giving you a little heads up. I plan to feel better and I plan to be there. <laughs> but, and then I texted him again Saturday night to give him the update and Sunday morning and said, yeah, it's not happening for me, brother. Good luck. God bless. <laughs> and I was going to watch it online at 10 live and I unfortunately was asleep in my recliner. <laughs> was ready to go, but had the communion cups right there. But it was... It was not happening. And what a blessing to be able to have someone like that and so many others that I could call at the last minute. What a blessing to not have to do damage control when I come back after somebody was a guest speaker. (laughs) That is not true everywhere, but it is true here and is a great blessing. The Savior Jesus is the joyful Jesus. I was going to speak about the Savior Jesus last Sunday and in this series with the joyful Jesus today. So here are some of the things that I was going to say. There are some who might feel it sacrilegious to say that Jesus was joyful. Can you imagine? Or that Christians should smile, be happy. Not necessarily happy the way the world sees happiness, but Jesus was not unhappy either. His happiness and his joy came from deep within where ours should come from. Would it be less blasphemous to say that Jesus was always sad or cynical or pessimistic or negative? Where did we get that imposter Jesus? Certainly not from Scripture. Several Scriptures on your outline say things like this. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, continued on his ministry and taught and said things. Or rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Jesus said in Luke 6, another time, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Those apostles experienced a joyful Jesus for those years that he was with them. And what Jesus says there is, I want you to have that same joy that you've seen in me. Your grief will turn to joy, he told them, and no one will take away your joy. You know who the only person is that can take away your joy? You. Satan can't do it. He wants to, and he tries, and he's good at it. But he can't take away anything from me that I don't want to give him. And I don't want to give him my joy. Again, I don't want to deny the difficulties in the world, the difficulties in this community, in this country, in Europe. We don't have to deny any of those things. But we also don't have to let them take away our joy because our joy doesn't come from the fact that everything is hunky-dory here in this world. 
Our joy comes from knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and was raised from the dead. And so Jesus prays in John 17 that we may have the full measure of his joy within us. His first miracle, as you know, in Cana of Galilee was at a wedding reception. It was at a party. The shepherd, when he found his lost sheep, the woman, when she found her lost coin, the father, when he found his lost son, threw a party. They were happy. They rejoiced. And the angels in heaven rejoiced. Matthew threw Jesus a dinner party. Zacchaeus threw Jesus a dinner party. Those healed, you couldn't shut them up. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And they immediately left him and told everybody. (laughs) Why? Joy. Joy. That no one could take away. But how could Jesus be joyful knowing all along what he had been born to go through? It was actually this very joy that enabled the Savior Jesus to give his life for us. You see, Jesus' joy empowered him to carry out the Father's will and empowers us to do the same. And you know what this passage in Hebrews 12 says, right? I, my thinking is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 or so belong in chapter 11, the honor roll of faith. Because Jesus is the last one mentioned, I think. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think Jesus took the cross seriously? We know he did. Why? What did he pray the night before he was killed? If possible, don't let me have to go through this. And yet it was for the joy set before him that he could. And that he did. Why? Because even the cross could not take away Jesus' joy. Rather, it empowered him. And James, the half-brother of the Lord, tells us that when we face persecution and when we face difficulties and when we face trouble, even then we face them with joy. Count it all joy. When bad things happen to you because you know God will bring good from it. And so this question, would someone who knows you well describe you as being joyful? How brave do you feel today? Do you want to ask someone that who knows you well? Would you describe me overall as being joyful? He. <laughs> If we know the Savior Jesus, how can we not be joyful? Again, not happy in the way the world sees it. Not happy in the way that we deny difficult situations in this life. Some that we're going through right now. Job was blessed because he acknowledged those things without completely giving up his faith. Came close. And so James says, look, all the persecutions and difficulties in this world, they can't take away your joy. How does he know that? They didn't take away his brother's joy. And he remembered that. Even though he wasn't a believer until I think he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he did. Didn't take away his joy. The joyful Jesus is the real Jesus. So as we conclude this series today, let's say this. Only the Savior Jesus is the real Jesus. And he is the source of our joy. If you're looking for salvation from anyone else, they're imposter Jesuses. Because only the real Jesus is the Savior Jesus. And if you're looking for joy anywhere else, wherever it might be, anything that has to do with this world or your life or your situation or your church, all of those things kind of do this. They're good times and bad. They ebb and they flow. But one thing is constant, one thing that will never leave us or desert us, and that is the real Jesus. And the joy that the real Jesus gives us, no one, nothing can take away. There is a fountain free, and it's for you and me. Don't settle for anything less than the real Jesus. Will you come Will you come to the fountain free? Come as we stand and sing our song together. There's a fountain free, it is for you and me. Let us
today our hearts do rejoice. We have three that have come today asking to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Uh, Dale McCorkle, uh, Joyce and I have known him and his family for something like 35 years. Dale is from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and his family uh, attended with us at the Woodland West Church of Christ when we were there in Arlington. And uh, Dale, as some of you may have seen him last week uh, because he wanted to do this last week. And the crummy preacher was sick and wasn't here. <laughs> um, but it was very important to him that, um, that I baptize him and he is a longtime friend. And uh, I'm honored, very honored uh, to do that in just a few moments. Um, our Caitlin Delivide comes as well to be baptized. We're overwhelmed with joy uh, for her and for all of her family. And there's a lot of them here today, more than just the ones that are on the front row, I think. And so that's a, that's a great, great blessing. And uh, we love them uh, so much and are so very proud uh, for them. And then uh, also our Casey Murphy comes today, the granddaughter of Dale and Carolyn Blackstone. And uh, Dale, her grandfather, will be baptizing her in just a few moments. And uh, she is an incredible young lady and has added so much to our church and to our family. And we are very, very blessed uh, to have her as well. And so I'll be taking their confessions and then uh, uh, we'll be led in a song while we're preparing. Do you want to stand up with me for a minute, sweetie? Caitlin, what uh, do you believe about Jesus? Yes, sir. Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he's the Savior of the world? Yes. And he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. God bless you for that, sweetheart. We'll baptize you in just a few moments, okay? Okay. Sit back down. Casely, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? I believe that he is the son of God and that he is the one true king. Amen. I'm so happy to hear you say that you believe that he is the son of God and the one true king. And he is your savior. I'll baptize you in just a few minutes, okay? Dale, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? That he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for the remission of our sins and rose on the third day. God bless you, Dale, for our salvation. God bless you, my friend. I know that that, those words mean a lot to you, and they come from deep, deep within your heart. And I'm so thankful to hear you say that you believe that Jesus is the son of God. God bless you, my friend.
Brethren, I want to thank uh, Gary for helping. That song came in as a request by one that was being baptized. And I had not led it before. And isn't it great to have somebody that can step in and help? So thank you, Gary, so much. All right, young people, we're going to do something bizarre. We're going to use this paper thing called a songbook. And we're going to sing from the songbook. And if you, brethren, will help me with my back to the baptistry, Tom, will you please let me know when they come down so I can stop leading? Somebody signal me. Okay. Thank you, thank you, brother. Number 904. Number 904. You know, if you've been watching the college tournament lately, when the game goes into overtime, those are the best games. I guess you might say our worship is in overtime. Let's sing together. Caitlin, because you have confessed that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, I am now going to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
issues on the daily media, so that Dale, because from the depth of your heart you have confessed with your mouth that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, I am now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Seven zero, and then we'll have our closing prayer. Well, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to set the rest by me. I heard of his promise of the precious blood of his own I repented of my sins, one love. bow with me. Father, we thank you for this day, for everything that you've given us. Father, we thank you so much for giving us a place to come together with a bunch of like-minded people to worship you. Father, I pray over the souls that were just added to our church, and Father, I pray that um, they would never be deterred from you. Father, the path is not easy for you yourself were persecuted. And Father, I pray that they would stay strong and that they would worship you in everything they do. Father, I pray that same prayer for us as we go out into this world, back into our daily lives and work. And Father, I pray that you would look over us and that you would guide us to where you need us to be. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen.